When I was 23 years old, all anybody wanted to ask me was, what do you do for a living? And what was my response? My response was, I do awesome. I'm Steve Armato, and I started this podcast to interview awesome people who build awesome lives. So now, let's do awesome. Welcome back to another episode of Doing Awesome. On today's episode, this is with somebody who I met during the early days of Bleacher Report. We worked on college football together. We worked on a couple big things together, and we stayed. For, we became close friends and stayed friends throughout the process. From him moving to go work for Notre Dame, to him coming back to New York, to everything that I've been doing with, with Lark Media, he's somebody that I've gotten to see grow and I've gotten to see take huge steps and mature in life. And he's somebody who we've kind of been on parallel paths together. And I'm glad to get him on because I feel like his story is going to provide you a lot of value and give you a look into what it takes really to be successful and how to always keep learning and progressing in your life. Man, it's phenomenal to have you on. What's up, man? We still have to get together in person, but like, you know, we, yeah. it's great to have you on. Um, like, I'm not going to lie to you. you I, I miss you a lot, man. Like, we go back. <laughs> People don't realize how far back we go. I know. I know. It's, uh, I'm, first of all, obviously honored to be on. Uh, and at the same time, immediately making me think about the old days working together at Bleacher Report and just what a, what a time that was. Definitely, uh, that was a hell of a first job for me, at least coming out of, out of uh, college and getting the opportunity to work with you and everybody. I mean, that was like, that was the best. That really was the best, man. Like we, so actually that's really where I'm starting here. Like we, exactly. that was early, early days Bleacher Report, right? Like yes. you, you have one of the most, more unique stories of somebody that I know just because we were like early days. It wasn't, they weren't bought yet. I don't think they, yeah. I don't think they got, I don't think they got bought yet. And like, we're grinding out college football Saturdays. We're young in our twenties. Everybody at the place at the time was just like, we're, we're like full of piss and vinegar. Just like, yeah, I'll work as many hours as possible. Like we're doing college football. Yeah. Like what, like what, Talk about those early days and then like yeah. how you like what happened after BR. Like it seems like BR was a stepping stone for everything else that took place. Yeah, I mean, so I came in to Bleach Report in January of 2013. And at that point we had they had just been bought by Turner a few months earlier, but like the whole transition was happening, right? And I mean, I came in as Anyone would start in an entry-level production assistant job, pulling photos, doing some Photoshop work. Had no idea what I was doing, but trying to pull it together. <laughs> um, but the thing that I remember the most about starting is this was before Bleacher Report became Bleacher Report as you know we know it today. And we had that small little office. And I can remember my boss at the time, Mark Cohn, who's obviously with Overtime now, uh, Hunter Mandel, also with Overtime now. Those guys have gone on to do big things. Um, but we were really trying to push this whole content creation storytelling around top high school athletes, football and basketball, right? And I can remember being out in the hallway 
cold calling high schools to see if we could get interviews with, you know, star recruits on the football and basketball side. And the crazy thing, and I tell this story sometimes, is I can remember calling those athletic directors, calling those coaches, and them having zero idea what Bleacher Report was. So not only did I have to sell what I actually wanted to get out of it, but I had to explain and sell through what Bleacher Report was at the time, which nowadays, especially in the sports world, would seem crazy to have to, you know, people would know exactly what Bleacher Report is. And so um, the coolest part for me looking back on it now is thinking about some of those people who we got through to who are now stars on NFL Sunday, right? And we knew yes. them when they were 16, 17 years old and just starting out, didn't know where they're going to college yet. Um, but, you know, we really, we built that thing. And like you said, man, we were working together on uh, everything from college football to college basketball to the young athletes up and coming. And man, did we have some like, it was just a, such good energy. Like all those days, college football Saturdays were incredible. Right. That that whole thing. Do you remember we worked on this project together? It was Quentin Nelson. You guys went. <laughs> you guys went to like followed him for like three days. Did this whole backstory on him, and I remember we cut we cut this whole thing. We're telling the story, and like Cone gave notes. Cone would just give notes. It felt like to give notes sometimes. And he just watches the whole thing. And like we did, I remember we put a crossfade between like the second and third section because we didn't know how to like transition it. And the only time he's ever only given one note, he comes over. He's like, that crossfade feels like 10 minutes. Just get it out. And then you're good. <laughs> and, and we were just like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe he gave no notes on this. This is the best piece we've ever done. <laughs> we've ever done. If that if that guy had no notes, it was a shock. I mean, yeah. to your point, I do remember that. And I all remember also being like, wait, he must have not actually paid attention because if he only had one note, that that, that means that he either it was not focused at all or we've created the perfect piece. And most most likely it was the former. He wasn't focused, but we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. At the time, you know, and then it, that was great. But and I mean, and we worked you got to work with a lot of like. You'd worked with Dak when he was at Mississippi State. You worked with, I mean, I remember Jabril Peppers. Like, these guys are stars in, in the league yeah. now. And then kind of that propelled you to Notre Dame. How did that all come about uh, with it? Yeah, and, and you know, we what I will say, and then I've got to tell this Quinn Nelson story because you have me thinking about it, especially with Quinn going to Notre Dame. So it also yes. kind of was a through line there, but – you know, my my role at Notre Dame evolved very quickly, um, which was incredible. I was leading our football digital digital video team specifically. We had a whole team that was kind of, you know, a whole content team for football. I don't want to take any type of credit like I was leading that team. That, that was a robust group. But the digital side from a video standpoint, absolutely, as I started my career there. And uh, it evolved pretty quickly about a year in at Notre Dame to starting to do more with our, our partnership side from a, a corporate standpoint and, and really leaning into and, and learning how to build kind of the sponsorship side. Notre Dame is, is incredibly unique uh, in the sense of, you know, it's got that lore of, of everything that goes with Notre Dame football, but also from a sponsorship standpoint, 
um, we have zero activation uh, opportunities in stadium at Notre Dame football and Notre Dame basketball, where, as you see in this day and age, you see signage in stadium on video board, all that type of stuff. So it really relied heavily on the digital activation side. And so I got to work with our Notre Dame global partnerships team uh, who represents the multimedia rights for, for Notre Dame on really trying to think creatively of how can we help brand partners activate and do really incredibly unique things with not the traditional opportunities that come along with most of the other sponsorship work they might do. Right. And so right. I got to be a part of some really cool conversations and some really cool partnerships that came together. Guinness is one of the ones that I always come back to. Uh, obviously Guinness is a perfect partner for Notre Dame. Uh, and that was kind of a first of its kind partnership for Guinness in the collegiate athletic space. But I will say on Guinness's behalf, like they did it right. They went out and they, they did a deal with Joe Montana. He became the spokesman for the whole campaign. Everywhere you went, you saw uh, branded Guinness Notre Dame uh, trucks delivering beer. Obviously, the the, the uh, customized cans, uh, and and then obviously just the the storytelling mechanism about being able to really connect those two brands is is pretty cool. So again, one example of of many partnerships I got to work on with the team as my career evolved there, um, which was which was awesome and. What I quickly just because now again I was thinking about it, Quinn Nelson. So you are right. I got to work with him in high school. He ended up going to Notre Dame. So I got to continue our relationship. But the story I've got with Quinton is obviously his career spoke for has spoken for itself. He was just an absolute terror at Notre Dame, has been an absolute terror at the Colts. But the one thing that I think has gone under the radar is somewhere in the archives of Bleacher Report is that when we were there working with him in, in his high school in New Jersey. Uh, myself and one of the other producers at, at Bleach Report uh, got to go out and see him do some of his, we'll call extracurricular activities from a staying in shape standpoint, one of which was karate, believe it or not. <laughs> and there is some incredible footage of Quinton back in the day at a karate class just as you can imagine, dominating everyone and breaking pieces of wood like it's nothing. Uh, that somewhere deep in the archives, it exists at Bleach Report. And man, would that be incredible to resurface today uh, to to be able to show. And uh, I'm sure Quentin, uh, you know, I'm sure Quentin would love to see that stuff because that was an incredible sight to see this absolute mammoth of a of a man in high school just you know up against or or in the same classes people his age and younger um it was it was quite the scene all that, about the hand all about the handwork that's why he did it that's it yeah and i mean that comes into play when you're an offensive lineman too so that's incredible i actually so i'm not going to mention his name but there is an editor from back in our days that i you know i'm still very close with that has a hard drive with a like eight terabytes of old footage on it that he took on his way out. And I need to see, I need to ask him if that's on it because that well, would if be the karate, if the karate footage is on there. It's, it's, it's worth, it's worth the gold. It's absolutely yeah. worth gold. I mean, he has, it's an eight terabyte drive. The thing is enormous. There has to be, there's gotta be stuff on there. He's the, yeah. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's the one that made the hardest hitters video with you. So <laughs> I'll hit him up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I know so, you're talking about. Yep. We're made nameless. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we don't, don't want to incriminate anybody on here. But I want to also talk about like, you know, you were just talking about the the sponsorships and everything in Notre Dame. Like, what was yeah. that? What was that like? Because you were pretty young. You're like mid 20s at that time, right? Like, yeah. what's that like yes. carrying a responsibility like that at such a young age? You know, it was a lot of credit to, you know, my boss um, at Notre Dame at the time, a, guy, a gentleman by the name of Rob Kelly, and then obviously our, our athletic director, uh, Jack Swarbrick, um, truthfully just uh, allowing me both A, seeing the opportunity where they needed somebody internally to help manage uh, the partnership and sponsorship side from a digital standpoint, just because of how important that was going to be for Notre Dame Global Partners. And then obviously giving me an opportunity to kind of step in and, and lead that. And, you know, I had the, without even really knowing it, I mean, I had the, the, um, the ability to have some type of history and exposure to that when I was at Bleacher Report, because as you know, we worked on them together, all of the March Madness uh, digital partnerships right. we did from a, from a storytelling perspective that we went out and got huge brand partnerships for because at the end of the day, that's our mechanism through the relationship with Turner and the NCA was being able to tell these digital stories, whether it was the Steph Curry documentary or the first yes. team in Kentucky under Calipari with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe. Like I had that experience and I was able to take into the role at, at Notre Dame and it was fun, man. We had a great team and still do at Notre Dame Gold Partners who was really open to um, approaching the digital space as not like an add-on at that time, right? Like I think a lot of partnerships more traditionally and of course has improved in this day and age, but was very much viewing social media as like, oh, we're going to do this partnership with signage and all that. Oh, let's throw a social media post in there, right? And I was very of the the thought process. No, like that, the value of that social media post or the content storytelling there, I'm not going to say is the same value at that time as, you know, naming rights in a stadium or whatever my signage is stadium, but it has a ton more value. And that's only continued to escalate as the world has gone on. And so a long way of saying is we got to do some really cool stuff and, um, got to work with some really big brands like Coca-Cola. I mentioned uh, Guinness, Under Armour, um, a lot of our really, really high level partners um, to really find ways of creating compelling stories that allowed the brands to associate themselves and activate with Notre Dame without doing it in a traditional way that was not something Notre Dame was going to go down the, the path for because it just didn't fit Notre Dame's brand. Right, right. So... Also, I did want to ask you this too with it, right? So you've worked with extremely high level athletes. I've, I've, I've been like, we've both done it, right? And like people that aren't in the space, it feels like they can't really wrap their head around it. And they're, and they're like, what's it like? What's this guy like? What's this guy like? What do you, like, how do you feel like explaining to people when you're work, like that you've worked with these athletes and that like, they're just normal people. Like mo 98% yeah. of the people that I've worked with that are athletes are like the coolest, some of the coolest people I've ever met. They're just nice people, good people. Like, how do you go about like talking about them? Like you've worked with some, and you've worked with some really big names like Steph Curry, Dak. Like, how do you explain that to people when they ask about it? 
Yeah, it's it's a first of all, it's totally true. I couldn't agree more. We'll say ninety eight percent, right? There's probably two percent that is kind of the uh, the thought process of, or or not thought process, but kind of what you would ex- what people think professional athletes are, right? right? Where they're right. they're not, they don't want to engage or all that type of stuff, but. Truthfully, I would say 98% of the athletes I've worked with, whether at the pro level or college level and then on to the pro side, are honestly just like incredible human beings. And my big thing is want to be treated like not a professional athlete or yes. not a top level athlete because I think what's what I have noticed is, and I'll speak on behalf of the college side just because I've, I've worked with those athletes the most who have now gone on to be pros is that their drive and curiosity, I think, for just what others do, I think is obviously very linked to why they're successful. Like they're curious, they're driven to be the best they can be in what they're doing. And I think they have a mutual respect for people who are doing really, you know, hard things or challenging things in their respective industries. So I, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of times at Notre Dame, whether it's football, basketball, um, lacrosse, soccer, where the student athletes would would want to continue to ask me questions, not about what the content piece we were creating for them was about, but more so like, how does your job work? Like, how does this work? Why are you doing this? You know, how did you get to this point in your career? Because you could see them all thinking about, is this something that I would want to do one day? Right. And so yes. that's the thing that I, I always think about at the at least at the collegiate level is like they're they're young, they're curious, they're driven to be successful. Uh, they obviously showcase that in their respective sports, but they're already thinking about, well, if I don't go pro, like maybe this is something I want to get into. Your job seems really cool. And so I'm I'm, you know, walking through how we get to what we're doing now with them. And um, they're just good people. And and that's the I think it's 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 a good question because it makes me think about it like they're just they don't have egos at least the ones that i've worked with yes. right and and again we'll carve out two percent for the egos which do exist but on the whole uh the drive and the curiosity to be good and to be good at different things and understand how other people have had success in their respective fields i think it's just like a mutual respect there yeah absolutely and you know what you you saying that you know that's something that i've noticed too like a lot of them ask like how the job works a lot of them yeah. ask a lot of them want to know how they're like how did you get here like especially at the time when like i still do it I, i'm still doing it now but like when i was younger at that time people were like you're so young how'd you get this job like what like what yeah. happened and they they want to know and it's it's cool to see that, but yeah, we'll carve out two percent for what people think versus. Yeah, you got to carve out the two percent. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I, you're making me think of. I got to tell us, uh, a quick story because we can. That's why we're here, okay. baby. This is the so. I will never forget this, and this is actually on the professional side, and and this will. And I have the most respect for this guy ever now because of this moment. He would never obviously remember this, but I will forever. Um. When I was at Bleacher Report, I, we did the documentary on Steph Curry, right? And his run with Davidson um, uh, to the Elite Eight uh, and just that magical NCAA basketball championship run, right? And I had the opportunity to interview Steph, which this was before he won either of his MVPs, okay. right, in the NBA. So he was 
obviously a great player, but he hadn't like hit that next stratosphere, right? Where he was, you know, two-time MVP. I think he won two, maybe, I think just two. Anyways, we were interviewing him. And at the time he had, uh, we were kind of um, using an opportunity to, there was another shoot he was doing for one of his partners, his brand partners. And we were able to, through a relationship, use some of that time uh, to do an interview with him for this piece. And, you know, I had 15 minutes max. Right? Yeah, that's what, what you get. That's what you get. That's what you get. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and listen, I was happy for the 15 minutes, right? Like, I was like, all right, I'm going to be dialed in and get this interview done. Like, it's super important. We, like, without, without him, we have no story. <laughs> and I remember working with, you know, whether it was you or one of our other colleagues at, at Notre Dame, or sorry, at, at Bleach Report about how we were going to do something kind of unique there. And what we had done is we actually brought an iPad and we had highlights of him from the tournament, right? Like, so we could kind of remember some of the specific plays we wanted to ask him about. Long story short is getting through everything. Um, and of course, you know, we're at minute 14 and I haven't gotten to uh, the elite, you know, the Sweet 16 game and the Elite Eight game. So the final two games of, of the tournament, right? And all of a sudden the the handler yep. says time's up. Like he's got to go like da, 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 da. And I, in my head, I'm like, Oh shit. Like this, I have like, like, I don't know what to do. Like I have to ask him about these because, and so I started like rushing as like this person was coming over to say, to say and I'll never forget. Steph goes, Hey, he goes, hold on one second. He goes, do you have the other two? Do you have the sweet 16 elite game on this iPad? I said, yeah, of course. I said, I just didn't have time to get to it. And he's like, no, no, we got to definitely talk about those. Let's hold off one second and told the handler, like pretty much like, Hey, like you are in control of me. This is obviously important to the story. He, he saw the whole picture. And also I think he was like super pumped to like be able to look back on some of the highlights in that moment. And so long story short is he gave me another probably 10, 12 minutes. And we went through those two games and he was incredible, obviously, but like, I will never forget that moment just from the ability for someone of his level to realize my job and what I ne needed to do in that moment and stop what was happening around him to make sure that I was successful. Because at the end of the day, if I came back to our boss and told him, yeah, you know, I got the interview with Steph, but I left out the final two games. My boss would be like, are you kidding me? Like, what did yeah. you do? And so long story short is like, Again, back to just the incredible, like, human side of these professional athletes and collegiate athletes, right? Like, Steph is Steph Curry. He could have easily been like, I'm done. And he just didn't, right? Right. So, anyway, that's, this is a story you made me think of. That's that's amazing. That, that's amazing. A lot of people don't do that or don't look to do that, right? Like, right. I mean, I was, just work, I was just working with someone in the NFL whose handler, like, basically made him leave at the time at like 12, it's like he's out at 12 and at 12, like the player was like, no, I could give you like 15 minutes. I, cause I, cause we were behind a little bit and the mm -hmm. player was like, you know, I could give you 15 minutes and his handler was like, no, like you're out of here. And I was like, all right, thanks. <laughs> I was like, thanks. But you know, that's really yeah. cool though. Like that's awesome. That, and it's great to hear that from a guy like Steph, the guy is a MVP. He's a, he's the guy's going to be one of the greatest of all time. And he's, yeah he's courteous enough to like give you his time. And that's like really all you can ask of somebody. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So now yeah. I want to dude, that's incredible. I want to transition to this though. 
So like you, yes. you know, you're at no, like you were in New York with Bleacher Report. You go to Notre Dame, Indiana, it's culture shock, right? <laughs> different. They're it's completely different place. It's just totally different. South Bend. Um, yeah. What was the deciding factor now for you to get back to New York? What was the deciding factor in, in coming back here and where you are at now? Yeah. Um, great question. I, I think, you know, my career at Notre Dame was incredible, right? And my wife um, was also working in Notre, with Notre Dame in the athletic department as well. So we were, we were having a blast. And if we were thinking about coming back from Notre Dame back east, I think it was kind of a combination of, of really two things. One is there was some personal family stuff that, that, I, that we wanted to get back closer to home for. Um, but also, you know, my wife and I, Kim, uh, Kim Borza Donaldson, uh, we're having a, gr- a great successful career within Notre Dame athletics. She was on the development side. Obviously, I was on the media side. And um, we just had one of those moments, too. It's like, OK, like, what's next? Right. Like, what do we what do we want to do with our our careers? And, you know, I think we've talked plenty about, you know, we we loved our time in Notre Dame. Could we see ourselves coming back one day? Absolutely. Right. But we also want to explore and, and do different things. Right. And so um, a long way of saying I got an opportunity to work at a startup uh, company uh, back in New York uh, called Wonder Media Network. It was a, a podcasting uh, company really focused on amplifying underrepresented voices. Um, that was a really interesting learning opportunity for me. I was there for a short amount of time, probably about eight months. Um, and it just, for, for a few different reasons, wasn't the right fit for me. Also, it was a tough time in, in the media, uh, sector yeah. in, in 2022, uh, definitely in the podcasting space as well. Um, but it also helped me realize, you know, Warner media network wasn't uh, sports, uh, specific, although we were exploring some sports opportunities. And I really missed my my connection to athletics just based on my own personal, you know, history of playing sports as well as just the work I'd done at Bleacher Report in Notre Dame. And so long story short is uh, an opportunity came with JMI Sports, which going back to earlier in our in our talk, uh, JMI Sports is uh, a joint venture with um, sorry, JMI Sports is a joint venture with Legends. Uh, that makes up Notre Dame Global Partnerships, which was the Notre Dame um, sponsorship arm uh, for their athletic department. And so I knew uh, the JMI Sports team uh, because of that. And so Got when it. this opportunity came about with JMI Sports to work with them directly, um, it was really interesting to me um, because of a few different reasons. One is I loved what they were doing. I loved the vision of how they were growing. Um, but truth be told, Eric Judson, the CEO, and Paul Archie, the president, are two guys I met along my way at Notre Dame. And I just, I believe in them. I believe in, in the way they go about doing business. I believe in the way that they um, handle themselves in the industry. And they gave me an opportunity to come in and, and lead the, the business development side for, for JMI Sports, which means that million different things in million different places, but for JMI Sports specifically, it was um, helping us think through what new 
opportunities we want to bring into our portfolio from a representation standpoint. So are there college athletic departments, are there professional teams, leagues, whatever it could be that we could work with them to help from an agency standpoint on their marketing and sales effort. And so I've been with JMI Sports now for about six and a half months, and it's been awesome getting the opportunity to meet so many people in the industry, both college and professional, as we try to um, partner with different entities and help them expand their brands uh, through different marketing and, and sponsorship opportunities. And then about three months ago, um, just with some reorganization internally, I got the opportunity to keep that part of my job and then also work specifically on leading the team that oversees our existing partners uh, in the okay. Northeast section. So what that constitutes is we have uh, relationships with uh, Columbia Athletics, Harvard Athletics, and UPenn Athletics, and then the Ivy League, the A-10, and the Patriot League. And okay. so... I work with all of those different partners and then I lead a team who's working with each of those on a daily basis to bring partnership opportunities from different brands that want to use, you know, the IP associated with those different uh, institutions or leagues to help expand their brand from a marketing standpoint. And so, you know, it's been a total whirlwind the last couple of months in a good way, hiring people to help support that team meeting a ton of our existing partners from the brand side, and then also pursuing new ones because truthfully, I think we have so much room to grow with all those because the brand um, value of all those Ivy League schools, the Ivy League conference, the Patriot League conference, the, uh, the A-10 conference, like there's so much incredible value there that if we can partner them with the right um brand or, or whatever it might be from an institutional standpoint, we can really elevate uh, their presence. And the, the, you know, again, this is my, my spiel on it, but at the end of the day, I think being in higher ed is so unique in the space because at the end of the day, we are delivering, uh, one of our main goals is delivering value back to the institution and also the student athletes there. Right. And as brands are evolving, it's less and less about like, let's make sure that they have a sign somewhere in the stadium and more so how do we create opportunities that link the brand and those student athletes or those institutions. And that to me is fulfilling because maybe we're creating an internship program with our student athletes to go work for brand X. Um, and that pipeline's created that there's value on both sides. Right. And right. I feel personally like I'm fulfilled in the idea of, not only are we bringing um, value to the to the brand side with creating a pipeline for their future employees, but we're also giving opportunities to student athletes, which is like as a former tennis player that might have gotten, you know, gone under the radar in comparison to some of the bigger sports. There's <laughs> part of me that wants to uh, to do that for for those sports as well. So it's 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 a great fit for me. Love the culture of JMI sports and we're growing. We're growing. So it's cool. That's awesome, man. And like you, I know you mentioned, you had mentioned that like this came about through previous relationships that, you, that you built, right? So how do you, how important to you are relationships and like how, like what's your advice? Like if you had advice for people on like kind of nurturing 
those relationships and keeping those people like keeping up with those relationships and like seeing how you can help them. Like what advice do you have and how important is that like to you? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I mean, I'm trying to trying to say how I respond to that not sound cliche um, because <laughs> I would say this, I mean, at the end of the day, you have zero, none of us have any idea where a relationship will come back to be a positive or negative Yes. for us. Uh, and I think what it really comes down to is like, you know, this is what I don't want to sound cliche, but like whoever it is, right. doesn't matter if they're the CEO or the intern or whatever it is, like treat people well, because at the end of the day, that person could be somebody you're looking to for a job one day, or that person could be somebody that is a key stakeholder for a decision you make. Or just vice versa, right? Like they might come back to you one day and so forth and so on. So I think what I've tried to do is, you know, I, I, as especially right now as I'm hiring for our team, one thing I've said to some of the candidates I've had to say that, you know, unfortunately this wasn't the right fit for them. And, and I mean this holistically is I say, listen, like, I hope you know that one day I might be coming to you for a job. And I think that I hope, although this wasn't the right opportunity or right timing for you that we can maintain a relationship because you wouldn't have gotten to stage X in the interview process if you weren't incredibly qualified and an incredible candidate. And so I want you to know that if I can help you with anything down the road, whether it's at JMI sports for a future role or another opportunity that you want to reference for something else, like I'm here because like we've made this connection, we've made this relationship and like, the last thing I'm going to do is like write you off, right? Because like I started with six years from now, I might be coming to them and saying, Hey, I'd love to come work for you. And man, if I, if I don't maintain that, or I don't uh, leave that relationship in a good spot, although on a tough topic, when I'm telling them that they might, they didn't get a job, right? Like, shame on me. Right. So. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to look at it, but you've, the thing is you've always been like that in terms of you've always treated people well like ever since the day i met you you treated people well whether they were brand new and coming into when we worked together like the brand new and coming in you always you were never you were never a guy who didn't look for the best in people and look to treat them well so you i feel like you've always been that way so i'm not really surprised to hear that's how you're doing it now and you're when you're on the, like you started as a PA and now you're hiring people. Like, you know, like it's, it's, you've come a long way, but you've always been, you've always been that type of person. So, you know, that's, it's, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's incredible. I, of you, man. I, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's something that I, that I, it's a value I have. And I, it has a lot to do with, you know, people around me parents, all that type of stuff, mentors I've had in the space, but uh, I don't know, man. It's just I've seen it happen now too many times where it all comes full circle, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And so you speak on that a little bit. You have you have a mentor or mentors. Like, how important do you think mentors are for anybody going through life? You know, I think it's incredibly, obviously, it's incredibly important. I think that. You just got to make a, a decision for your, and this is something that's taken me years to like realize is that 
you just got to make a decision for yourself who you want your your executive board to be or whatever you want to call it because like you know there's there's a handful of four or five people who are mentors to me that I really like trust and really will reach out to kind kind of always on big decisions whether personal or or professional because like there there are people I've asked to kind of be there for me when I need them and they've been incredible right and and I say that because you know you could make your board 20 your personal board 20 people right but that's like kind of not realistic right you got to like you got to really hone in on the three or four or five that are like I'm going to ask them questions about what I want to do with my future personally professionally and actually listen to their advice versus just like making a bunch of people feel like they're on your board, right? right. Your personal board. So, right. So now on yeah. with that too, that's a good way to put it. Actually. I've, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Like a personal board of advisors. That's a great way to, yeah. to put that. So I got that from somebody else too. That, I, didn't that's, make that I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, still it's great, but, but like now, so do you have like on top of that, like mentors, personal boards, like, do you have a book maybe that you've read along the way that's kind of changed the way that you've viewed the world? Oof. Um, great question. I'm one of my New Year's res- resolutions every year is to read more books. And I'm slowly but surely making progress on that, nowhere where I want to be. Um, I guess there's one book that I, I read, uh, I think it's called death by meetings or, or death by meetings, or I think is what it's called. Anyways, it, it, it's a book that I always remember for one specific reason. It had talked a lot about like how the world's just been totally uh, taken over by having too many meetings on your calendar and you yes. can never, and it, which I'm sh- is true for all of us. But like the thing I'll never forget. And I try to institute with my team now too, is that, like you got to separate like the meetings all about like tactical, like blocking and tackling, like get this thing done, get that thing done. And then the meetings that are about let's think big brainstorm, so forth and so on. And too many times I think people like have one meeting a week and like try to do all that at once. Right. And like, it's impossible or it's not impossible, but it's just not very like practical and getting the best out of both worlds. So I really try to separate those. Say, Hey, we're going to spend 30 minutes a week, like all about like, tactical like knocking these things out they need to get done and then we are going to like end that meeting and we're gonna have a meeting later in the week that is focused on one or two topics and thinking as big as we can from an ideation standpoint and it helps me because the brain's working differently for those two different things um and so long way of saying is i got that from that book which i'm probably butchering the title of it right now but that's something that i will find it Throw up a graphic, chop me up, so it makes it sound right. Um, <laughs> but you got it. Anyways, that. that's something that, that honestly, Steve, like small, of course, but that like changed. Like I read that a couple of years ago, and like that changed my professional life in the way I organized myself and my team from separating those two things. If you look at it that black and white, you can really start to differentiate what's tactical and what's like actually trying to think and be creative. And those are two totally separate things. And you can really bucket those appropriately if you take that meeting concept and apply it to other things in your in your life as well. So 
That's great. I I actually have to read that book because I need to do that. But I I was never a big meeting guy. That was that was kind of part of the reason I I let not part of the reason I left. Like I left Bleach Report the second time around, and my one of my gripes was there was just so many meetings about things that like we weren't like you had a meeting about another meeting, and it's like you can't. Oh do that it's not productive for your team and the way you're telling me you're doing it that's perfect there's like a ta- like like you said like tactical and then big picture stuff and that's yep. that's really the way to that's a great way to do that it's amazing and now i want to move to this like you know outside of work right the big talk these big talks these days um morning routines are like the big talk of social media what are your thoughts on morning routines and do, do you have one um, I would say that I am, uh, I've developed a morning routine probably in the last, since I moved back East, I okay. definitely didn't have one before. Um, and my morning routine is, uh, get up. Um, I walk to the local coffee shop about five minutes from my house, which it's close enough where I will trek it if it's pouring rain. Wow! Because I just it's become the the move. It's too short to drive, um, so I got to I got to do it. But then what I'll do is I'll actually have a coffee, eat something, and do a bunch of emails, read about what's going on in the world. Uh, it's kind of like the first thing earlier on in the day. Then I'll try to get a quick workout in if i don't work out in the morning it's not happening um <laughs> yeah, i've learned that about myself uh and then and then it's like shower and hit the day from like actual meetings and so forth and so on so that's kind of become the thing i do it gives me a little bit of time in the morning to like do the whole email thing read a little bit while having like this coffee from this local place that my wife says we're going to go bankrupt because of how much i go with it. it's all part of the routine um but at the end of the day, that's kind of how I get it going in, in the morning. And it's it's a nice like uh, beginning versus just like waking up and like jumping on a Zoom call. Right. Right. So, right. And how do you do you, how do you disconnect from work? Great question. That's probably a harder for everybody than it's ever been with everything moving more virtually still. Right. Yeah. Um, Big time. Yeah. I'm kind of one of those weirdos. I think that <laughs> weirdos is. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's a strong I, word. I, I don't think so, but okay. I'm one. I'm one of those weirdos who has made the commitment in since the pandemic that I will uh, dress up for the workday as if it's the workday. So, like right now, like I'm wearing this, which is you know not like a t-shirt, right, or whatever. So, like when the day is over, like I will go upstairs and like put on a t-shirt, a t-shirt and shorts, like what I would normally wear. Right. Versus like, and, and so like, you know, that's, I've been doing that through the whole pandemic. Uh, I used to believe it or not. And my wife gave me so much shit for this. I used to put like shoes on in the house. Like I was wearing shoes at the, at the zoom, like at my computer and she's wow. like, you've gone too far. Yeah. So I, I don't do that, but I, you know, I've got the whole, I'm, I'm in my work day outfit. I don't have shoes on cause she gave me too much uh, grief about that. But at the end of the day, that's how I kind of shut it down is I'll, I'll change like for no reason outside of like, that's 
the end of the day. That means work's over. Yeah, that's I. Right. You know what? That's the only reason that I actually started this podcast is because I had to do my hair. So like now I know, <laughs> you know. No, I'm, I'm yeah. kidding. But it does help. But well, no, the, the flow, the flow is flowing. It's ridiculous right now. I'm getting it trimmed right before next no. next week. I'm getting just a little trim. No. That's it. There's a you actually you saw when I first started growing my hair out. You were you still were friends with me through the awkward days when it was like really bad. Like and you would like we would go have drinks together and I don't know why I you would want to be I don't know why yeah, I we encourage you, it because you gotta get through that awkward stage to really get to where you're at now, right? You're, it's obviously just it's it's flowing at this point. And there's an awkward stage for everybody. I used to, as you know. Have have hair like yours. I obviously I'm keeping it a little bit tighter now because it's it's thinning out, which is an unfortunate situation for me. The long hair just wasn't isn't where it needs to be like it used to be. So got it. Yeah, I mean I commend you for being friends with me because there was some bad hair back then. But I know we're gonna get through it. Got to get through it. I know we're running over. This is such a good conversation. I know we're going a little over, but I want to know what does living an awesome life uh, mean to you or look like to you. I mean, I think the definition of awesome life is uh, very, um, per, you know, personal. I think that is different for everybody. For me, it's being able to be present um, for the moment, right? And I mean that personally, professionally, whatever it is. And so it kind of goes back to what you just asked about, like being able to like shut it down from a work standpoint and, and, um, disconnecting from that like i think having having an awesome life is being very present for with whatever you're doing in that moment whether it's having dinner with my wife or you know going up and visiting my mom and dad and playing golf with my mom or being on this zoom call and doing this this uh podcast with you like i really feel if i can be a hundred percent or as close to 100 percent um involved and focused on what i'm doing that means I'm giving it my all. And that's what I view personally as like having an awesome life because I'm giving everything I have to that moment versus trying to multitask and like be on this with you and like checking my email and being on a Zoom call with somebody, but in the background doing something else or having dinner with my wife, but worrying about X, Y, and Z. Like I still do all that stuff. I'm not saying I don't, but I'm trying <laughs> every day to be better about being 100% focused and like grounded where I am. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what that, to me is is the most valuable for me. That definitely answers my question. It's a great, it's a great answer. And I need to know this. What's your go-to karaoke song? Like, I just need to know. I would, I would say I'm singing in my head. Unwritten, unwritten. There you yes. go. The rest is still unwritten. Natasha Benningfield, unwritten is my karaoke song. For some reason, over the course of my, it came out in 2004. And obviously that song is stuck with me. I feel 100% confident that if I got up on a karaoke stage, I do not need the prompter. I know every word in that song. Why? I couldn't tell you, but that is it. That's the answer to your question. Wow. I love that. That's See, I haven't heard that. Everybody has a different one. I haven't gotten the, uh, the same song from anybody. This is incredible stuff, man. So listen. Wow. That was, they put me on the spot there. That was tough, but I pulled it together. I know. I have to ask everybody that. That's like my favorite one. But listen, man, it was great having you on. Thank you for joining the show. 
And if uh, you want to plug anything and tell people where to find you, now's your chance. Um, no, I don't want to plug anything except for I think it's awesome that you're doing this, Steve. I think you yourself obviously can be on the show is what you built with with Lark. It's incredible. Uh, and watching your own career grow is is super cool uh, from the Bleacher Board days all to obviously being your own CEO and running your own shop. So kudos um, and thank you for having me on, man. Of course, man. And I appreciate the kind words and we're going to get a date for dinner or NFL Sunday right after yes. right after this. We'll get it on the on the books. But um, everybody, awesome. thank thank you for listening. And remember to uh, subscribe and leave a review, please, on Spotify, on Apple. Subscribe on YouTube. We're everywhere. So um, we will see you next week. And thank you once again for listening.